So we got Anthony Thogmartin, Earthcry, Papadocio, here on the Weird Music Podcast, coming off of Resonance 2021. Man, an amazing time. So awesome to have Anthony here. Um, man, so to start this off, of course you can relate if you're listening. Um, like rhythm is so entrancing and like, you know, being in the crowd, it shows it's something like resonance, like the tension and release, you know, maybe you're having, having, you know, psychedelics aiding you in the, you can feel just this, you know, there's, there's, it's hard to describe it. Words poke at it, like uh, just deep, profound bliss. Like you leave your body, whatever it might be. However, you know, that live music experience is for you. Uh, Anthony, so as someone who, you know, I'm sure you've been, you've been on both sides of that. Like, what do you think it is about music, about live music, about really just, you know, sound that, that can be so deeply moving to the listener? Well, what I do think is interesting is that intervals between notes can determine like the overall vibe of a sound, right? So we can hear a major chord and be happy or a minor chord and feel sad or a dominant seventh chord and it sounds like the instrument's laughing. Um, those are like, I find that to be interesting. I also find it to be interesting that a, a bird or a dog or an animal listening to that, it would sound like a bunch of garbly gook because their ears aren't shaped the same way, right? And so it's a, it's a music is a genuinely human experience. Um, it's, it's more of a human experience than, than really most things. Also something about sound that's really interesting to get on a nerdy perspective is that sound is not wind. A lot of people don't know that sound is sound pressure, right? So what you hear is displacements in the pressure, the ambient pressure of, of where you are. Right. So, so, and, and, and that's interesting to me as well. Right. So you need your brain, you need your ears, you need your head, you need your inner ear, you need all that stuff to experience that change in sound pressure, right? You need, you need all those tools to experience it. So what are we doing when we're, when we're in this environment? You know, what are we really doing? It, it, it's truly amazing. Like we're kind of, um, in some ways we're like entraining ourselves, you know what I mean? Like to have, to generate meaning, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like, you know, so two people could have, could be at the show. One person could not be as into that show as the other person is, and they could have two polar opposite experiences doing exactly the same thing. That's allowing their eardrums to react to that sound pressure, right? And here they they'll be hearing the same thing, but they're having these very different experiences. And and to me, that's that's where my interests lie. You know what I mean? To me, it's like what is what is it that we're actually doing, and what does it look like from the outside? I mean, I wish that just for a nanosecond I could know you know, like a goose, like flying over a festival, like, like what, you know, to, I think to a goose, we look like what we probably actually more are akin to, which is, you know, a bunch of monkeys surrounding, like, you know, something that's bright and makes sound, right. Cause it's interesting to us. Like, and sometimes I've had like that experience, you know, like, like looking at a crowd from far away and being like, <laughs> you know, that's all we are really, you know what I mean? Like, we're just like, Ooh, look at this thing. You know what I mean? Like what's, what's going on with this thing? You know? And then we're going over here like, Ooh, what's this thing? What's going on with this thing? And that's like, uh, you know, I like to try to figure out ways to not take myself seriously. You know what I mean? And I think that's like a really, a really good way, you know, just, just to think of like how ridiculous it all is, but also, but also like how amazing it is that 
we've figured out a way to, I can say, you know, a beach ball floating in the ocean. And I'm, I've, I've instantly made a picture in your brain, right? That's amazing. And I can do the same thing by playing a, a series of minor chords with a major one in there somewhere. And I've given you a certain vibe, right? But both of those things, this abstracted, you know, sound that I'm making out of my mouth, causing an image in your mind is amazing. It's a, it's a human thing. It's almost like we, we act like, you know, I wish I could be telepathic, right? But we already are. You know, we already are in, in as much as we have language and we have music and we have, you know, visual art and we have like, we, we, we can conjure images in each other's minds, auditory or visual or otherwise, just by being artists, right? And that, you know, so really in a lot of ways, an artist is sort of a telepath, you know, like, and, and everyone is an artist too. And that's, that's another like interesting point. Like if you have a certain way that you talk to somebody like, you know, your lover, you talk to them a certain way, your parents, you talk to them a certain way, your friends, you change the way that you talk, right? So really in a lot of ways, you're art, you're an artist and your, your communication is your art in that, in that sense. So really in a lot of ways, you know, we already are telepathic. It's just using sound pressure. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that when I'm in a, an environment at a music festival, I think of it sort of as like an experimental, like a lab, you know what I mean? Like everybody's like trying to see what happens when I do this, what happens when I do that, you know, and the control being silence, right? The control is that what happens when I don't do this, you know what I mean? And, and it's like, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a crappy science experiment, you know, in, in truth, because there's not enough things controlled, but in a lot of ways, like we're constantly trying to figure out what happens when I do this? And that, that's the thought process that I go through in my mind. Like, you know, like watching Jake play, I was like, I wonder if he's thinking like, all right, what happens when I do this? You know, what happens when I do that? You know, if I overdo this, is my band going to get mad at me? You know, I'm like, I, like what, what, you know, what is he thinking about this grand experiment? You know, let's talk about that Daft Punk set. Okay. Like crowd was going insane the whole time. Uh, I know people, they were, they're saying like, never really got too into Daft Punk, but that set was amazing. And yeah, I want to know from you, like, was Daft Punk like one of your guys' favorite bands growing up? Like, what was your thinking behind picking Daft Punk for that set? And like, were there other artists on the table that, that you were considering doing a cover set for? Yeah, so Daft Punk, um, especially like homework, like way back in the day, see like people, I, I think people assume we're younger than we are. Um, but um, yeah, when homework came out, my parents had on their television, they randomly had this, uh, and hopefully some of the listeners in the Northern Midwest and the Northeast know what I'm talking about. There was a music video channel, much like um, MTV called, um, I think it was called Much Music. And uh, on there, it was mostly Canadian like music videos, but that was the first time I saw Da Funk, let the, the um, Daft Punk video with the dog. Um, and he's like walking down the street. He's like, he looks like a, like a, like a, I don't know. He's, he's like a weird detective. He's like in a detective's outfit or something. And he's like walking down the street. And that's like what that song um, is from. And I remember like, that was the first time I had heard Daft Punk. And that was way back in the day. That was probably 1998 or 1999. Like I was super young. Um, but yeah, that was the first time I heard it. And yeah, I mean, to, to back up a little bit, like Daft Punk in general, isn't like, you know, I'm not like cruising down the road and I'm like, oh yeah, let's, let's turn on Daft Punk. It's not really like that. It's like, 
you know, Daft Punk music is a great springboard for being able to do interesting things with it, right? Because it's so basic, like there's no, um, there's no, like, you know, people aren't expecting, they're expecting, they like, they know the the hook and that's all they know, right? So we were able to take that music and do what we wanted to do with it, right? So this was a totally, like, a completely different cover set than, for example, the Gorillas or Nine Inch Nails which was thus far Nine Inch Nails cover set was my favorite cover set to do thus far because it was just so fun. Um, those sets we did, tried to do verbatim what they did um, and tried to do like, you know, tried to really, really hone in on like what they did on their on their records. Whereas Daft Punk, we were like, hey, this is a really great opportunity to like play the hook, you know, do the thing and then just take it in whatever direction we want to go with it. And that's what we did. Right on, right on. I listened to a number of talks from Anthony here before before doing this interview and I definitely encourage you all to go out there on Spotify and see some of the other interviews Anthony's done here I want to talk about like the natural world for a minute I I heard you have a really interesting take on, on things you know we've, for anyone who doesn't know with Anthony's electronic project Earth Cry he's come out with uh, this multiple part animated series called Identity Mitosis and you know we're going to jump into that a little bit more later so right now I've, I've got friends in Utah and, and it's on fire. Like the it's, you know, so I'm 25 and it's, it's a crazy time to be, you know, becoming an adult just living on earth. Like, you know, we don't know how fast climate change is springing upon us here. Um, and it's, it seems to be increasing at an accelerating rate. And, and I want to know, you know, from someone who a lot of us hold in our head here in the jam scene is, as someone we look up to, like from you, this really heavy topic, like it can make people depressed. And, and I'm interested to know, like how you kind of mentally frame being alive in the world today with this being said, and like, uh, if you have any element of hope or kind of maybe, you know, how you talk about this to a younger sibling or, or something like that. Oh. <laughs> Well, I'm, you know, I'm no like a meteorologist or climatologist or like anything like that. So anything I would say would be purely just speculative, but um, yeah, I think we're in a challenging time as humans and that, you know, that's, um, that's also predicated on something that I don't think we talk about too much. And that's that we've done a lot. Like we, we have almost, we're very, very, we're really on the, on the cusp of creating a general intelligence outside of ourselves that would that would exist uh, autonomously with AI. And, you know, part of me looks at all of this and I look at the birth of intelligence, at least intelligence in the way that we see it, um, and our ability to speak to each other and our, abil our ability to, to talk about complex topics as a beautiful thing. And I think it's really easy to vilify what humans are. I think it's easy to vilify, like, the things that we do to the planet and our inability to somehow get ahead of it. It seems like we have this, I even used this phrase earlier, like a stalwart march toward oblivion. You know, like, like we, like, it doesn't even seem like we're even capable of slightly turning left or right. Like we are headed straight toward what we all know to be an inevitable end. But, but at the same time to try to, to just say that, you know, and to be like totally misanthropic about it and not look at the beautiful things that humans have been able to do. And, you know, um, 
also the fact that we have created an incredible amount of change in our the way that we see the world in the last hundred years, the way that we see each other in the last fifty years. You know what I mean? Like the, all these things take time. It takes time to figure this stuff out. You know, like imagine how different everything would look if our battery technology changed. Just just the battery stuff alone. If the battery stuff alone changed, almost everything would change. If we could figure out a way to create a, um, a battery out of non-rare earth mi minerals that could store a lot more energy, um, you know, and you, you know, you see these hopeful stories here and there. Um, we really are in a dangerous, you know, you know, place, as far as I can tell, we're in a very dangerous place, but we're also in a very amazing place. You know what I mean? And that's, that's sort of what it is to be alive. And, and another thing is that like, if you zoom out far enough and you look at the planet, you know, like, and really this is kind of central around like some of the themes around like the, the reason I called earth cry, what it is, because, uh, we're, we're just on a rock floating in a very obscure, like very, like, we're not like, we have this like really funny, like, you know, uh, sent, you know, we, we, we look at ourselves as the center of the universe, but really if you, if you zoom out far enough and you look at what we are, we're some rock on the very, very edge of a pretty derelict galaxy, just in the middle of, you know, nowhere in, in space. And like, if you can wrap your head around this, like, you know what I mean? You can also wrap your head around the fact that maybe this is just what happens. The planets have life, life gains intelligence, and then they they try to do something with that intelligence and they fail. And it's much like the same way that a flower grows, it wilts and it dies, right? You know what I mean? Like I could, you can think of like, maybe like the way that the world were like looks right now with all these cities and all these lights and all this radioactivity it's almost like it's going to bloom and then you know maybe there's some sort of collapse and maybe it does it again and maybe we're you know we're civilization 6000 that has done this and the earth just you know we we act like the earth is threatened the earth is not threatened the earth is fine all that we're doing when we're when we're continuing down this path is making it more treacherous for humans not for the earth the earth is a giant rock in a very perfect distance from a burning ball of gas, you know, that is somehow able to recreate life. Like I walk around and look at mushrooms and it gives me hope, right? I look at mushrooms and I say, okay, these creatures were here first. If we like make the planet completely uninhabitable, they tend to be extremophiles. They can, fungus can grow when things are super hot, when things are super cold, they can still do things. So, you know, I, I look at this as like, you know, we're only making it harder for ourselves. And, but also we have to just zoom out a little bit and look at what we've accomplished and stop vilifying only looking at the bad parts. You know, we've done good things and yeah, only small minute changes in, in what we can develop will totally change the story completely. That's an awesome perspective. Like, you know, we get so caught up, like, um, like, let's say like life is like, um, like an iPad, like, and we're, we're caught right up against it. And, and to be able to really, like zoom out and and like you're saying, see the bigger picture is definitely it's definitely a very valuable perspective shift. Uh, I'm glad I asked you that. And yeah, the so poetic, like how you mentioned life is like there we are in a dangerous time, but also an amazing time. And that's part of being human. I I love that. Right on. For sure. So, you know, I just mentioned like I listened to a couple interviews of Anthony before this and um those of you out there, you might have heard of someone named Raghu Marcus. Um, he's associated with Ram Das and R Ramana Maharshi, 
who who I believe is a is a guru of Ram Das and um yeah so Anthony was on Ragu Marcus podcast and um man incredible conversation um I want to bring up a conversation you two were having you know you mentioned you were you were probably a little a little younger than me about my age and you know you were starting to get into talks from philosophers on YouTube like the Alan Watts of the world mentioned Ram Das and um, how that was kind of an influence of your music, uh, especially when you were first starting out, like, uh, with Papadocio, uh, and a, a central theme. And, and we're kind of already talking about this now is, is nature and just kind of how, how mind blowing it is. Like you mentioned zooming out at the galaxy, but also zooming in and our cells, like to be here, uh, made up of whatever we're made up of, like, like it's it's the kind of thing that uh, it doesn't really sink in, but to be fully reminded of it, it it's it's mind blowing. And you know, I'm sure you've all had sim- similar kinds of mind blowing uh, reminders at at various you know music festivals like Resonance, you know, in in the woods on uh, on whatever you guys eat. I digress, but my question for you, Anthony, here is like talking about just how really mind blowing nature is and, and the interconnectedness of ecology, when you really start to, to try to grasp what's going on in, in ecology, like, is the, is there some sort of influence there? Like I know Microdosio just came out uh, about a, right before the pandemic and that, you know, all these different mushroom names are the names in that album. And, and I'd love to hear from you like here, how how does nature and and the real magic of nature find its way into influencing your art well maybe maybe a better way to talk about this is to talk about this in the context of a song um we have a song called the sum from this album we had to end the illusion of separation which came out in 2012 i think and the lyrics are um, sort of indicative of like what I sort of was thinking at the time and maybe uh, just reciting this one part would be cool. Um, um, It's like, I look at my hands and then I look into the sun. How could it be that we can't see what we've begun? And like, what, what I'm saying is that like, you know, when you walk through the woods and you look at a leaf and then you look at your hand, and you can see cells on a leaf, you can see cells on your hand. And like, you know, what I was basically talking about is fascination at the unbelievable complexity of what's already there, right? Um, like just in the human eye, for example, the the technology, like if, if you ever if you ever picked up a camera and if you're pretty good at a camera, you start to understand that the camera is limited by some factors, right? It can only capture so much light over time it can only close its aperture or open its aperture so much. It can only have so much, the sensor on the camera can only have so much dynamic range, meaning that if you're looking at a bright light, you can't see what's behind it unless you adjust the camera settings, but then you would make the light too bright and everything behind it would be washed out. And But our eyes can look at a bright, like I'm looking at this bright light right now, I can see what's behind it in excruciating detail. And we have no technology that can do that. We have no technology that gets even close to that, right? We're getting there and we're getting somewhere with our technology, but when you look at what is available, that's already there. And then you think about the fact that 
it all it hangs in such a really, really um, specific balance. There's a specific balance of all these things that make all of this possible. You know, I, I think that it's a humbling experience. And so when I'm walking out in nature, I'm constantly reminded of that. And I guess that's just, and maybe that's just where my head goes. Um, and I find that to be musical. So that's like one angle of it. That's like maybe the left-brained angle of it. And now the right-brained angle of it is that when I'm walking around with friends or by myself, the cadence of my walking, sometimes um, just the silence, especially if you're if you're out there um, in the colder months, uh, you just hear things. You hear music, and music just happens. Um, when I'm in the studio, or when anybody's in the studio, or when anyone's in, in a city or anything like that, there's always stuff. You know, this, that, this, that, this, that, and um, some of the only times that I can get real true silence is out there in the woods. And like, maybe it's just the silence itself, but that combination of the silence and the inspiration and the kind of looking at like original design, I like to call it original design, kind of looking at like, you know, I, we didn't design it. You know what I mean? We just, we're, we're in it. We're, we're, we're so in it that it's hard to even recognize that. Um, I don't know. I get musical ideas. And so like, I take those ideas and I bring them back. Sometimes I'll sing them into my phone or whatever. I'll sing like a melody in my phone and I'll take them back and I'll record them. Or, um, it'll just fill me up enough. Like I'll, I'll be working all week on some musical idea or something on the YouTube channel or who knows what, and I'll just get burnt out. And then if I go into the woods and I walk for two to five to even a whole day, that resets me. And um, I think it does that for a lot of people. I don't think I'm alone in this. I think that most people have that experience where they potentially feel burned out and then they go in the woods and then all of a sudden everything's like better again. You know what I mean? And and that's what I guess I mean when I say that like my main influence would be like going out in the woods because it's not, I guess it, that, that would be limiting or diminishing what it is. It's more than that. It's like, a, it's not just that. It's also a reset. It's everything that I need. It's almost like, you know, every day, every 24 hours, you need a sleeping cycle, right? To, to be at your peak health. For me, every week, I need to be outside. That's just how I am. So silence itself can be like, you know, an incredibly psychedelic thing. They're like, I have friends that do silent meditation, uh, where they'll, they'll go into like periods of no talking, uh, extended periods, and uh, they'll do it with others. And yeah, so Anthony, like, are are you someone, do you do silent meditation? Like how, what about silence do you think it can be so profound? Um, I think what's, what's profound about it is, is that, um, and I don't know if it's necessarily silence in and of itself. I think silence is like specifically auditorily science is, or science, silence is cool. But the problem is, is that, um, when, when, when I'm meditating, I'm not necessarily looking for silence. I'm, I'm trying to focus in on what's actually happening. Um, and even if that's something that's loud, you know what I mean? That that could be a meditation too. I haven't, in, in all honesty, in the last uh, month been able to really spend too much time meditating, which is, which is sad for me to admit. Um, but everyone fluctuates and anyone that says that they don't isn't really telling you the, the truth. But when I'm really deep into it, I don't mind even a loud sound because I can witness what I do when I hear it, you know what I mean? And I can witness the whole like idea, at least for me about mindfulness is just to witness what I do. So what is my reaction? Is there a really loud, you know, crow that's landing in this, you know, tree beside me and just cawing away? Like, 
maybe to some people that would be necessarily annoying, but I think that the whole idea of meditation is at least mindfulness meditation. There's so many different kinds. Um, and I'm not like versed enough to be able to speak to all the different kinds, but the kind that I like to do is just to notice what I do. Cause if you're noticing what you do and you're noticing what your reactions are, you're really in it. You're in the, 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 the very moment that it's, that it's happening and you're noticing. Noticing is something that can only really happen like in the now. Right. So, um, sometimes I enjoy like closing my eyes, laying on my back and looking at the sky when clouds are moving fast in front of the sun. And I notice the back of my eyelids kind of like, and the sun kind of shining through there. And I notice what my, like what my thought processes are when I'm witnessing that thing and I'm focusing in on, okay, it's brighter. Okay. It's dimmer. Okay. It's weird. Okay. It's strange. Okay. I can see that blood vessel there. And I'm like, just trying to be with everything. And, you know, a easy way to start doing that is, you know, witnessing your breath and all that other stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that all in all, like meditation, I think folks come into that world thinking that it's this colorful, crazy, psychedelic, nutso, like, you know what I mean? I mean, and I, I imagine that some people have that experience, but meditation really is trying to focus in on what is, and then figuring out what is it in me that's coming up. And then allowing the mind to wander is actually not a bad thing, because as long as you remember to, to, to notice what you are doing, like, for example, if you think of something distressful, if you think of something happy, you can use that moment of like drifting away and then coming back and realizing, hey, wow, when I think about that, my my stomach hurts or like something is going on in my back um, when I think about this distressful thing. And that in and of itself is, is can lead to um, like realizations about potentially what you could do better or maybe potentially some trauma or like you know some some things that you could work out in your mind and that is kind of what the kind of meditation that i've been doing more recently is um and i think yeah i mean there's there's definitely psychedelic like routes i suppose um and there's definitely psychedelic experiences to be had but i think that's the glitter that brings people in and then when they discover what it really is or at least when they discover that they're uh, Ram Dass would call it your, your quiet spaciousness. When they, dis when they discover that, then it's much less about the glitter. And it's much more about like, what, what can you do to better yourself, to better the lives of folks around you? What can you do to better yourself, to better your relationship with the environment? Or what can you do to better yourself, to better your relationship with, with everything else and thus make a better, you know, make a better experience for everybody. And it becomes a lot less about, man, I like this, like, you know, cosmic alien came down and, you know, like, do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, totally. No, it's like, uh, there's, there's certain perceptions uh, of what it is. And then, uh, you know, it goes through ebbs and flows. Uh, ultimately it can be boring, very boring if it's, uh, you know, a normal day or it can be, uh, beyond that. Um, yeah. And, you know, every, everything has a certain, uh, like glittery element to it at its surface level, at least, uh, things that can really catch a fad, like, like meditation. Um, take me back, Anthony, to, to the days. And, and I don't know if you were, you were in elementary school, you were in high school, but like, what were, what were those first few months of you really becoming acquainted with like feelings of mindfulness, like, and, you know, we all, we all experience this, uh, before we even know what to call it, but 
uh, yeah, it was like those times when you first are starting to get into Alan Watts and, and Ram Dass, whenever that was, can you, can you take, take me back there? Yeah. Uh, I've said this on a couple other podcasts, but I was, uh, I'm an old school internet user. So I was using, I was, uh, back in the flash days, I was using arrowid.org, which was I, an I'm interesting website. In fact, oh, yeah. If you don't, if you get on arrowhead.org and you don't like enjoy yourself, you're, you're just not paying attention to the internet. Cause it's just like, it's everything that a young psychonaut would want, you know, to, to learn about. Um, and so the glitter that brought me in was, you know, oh, cool. I can, you know, you know, this week we can try this research chemical or this week we, you know, it was like, we were doing really dumb stuff to be honest. Uh, but like in there packed into that whole world was psychedelic art. Right. And psychedelic art was like, a big, you know, I discovered like outside of like how the pop culture discovered like some of these artists that blew my mind, like Venosa and, you know, and Alex Gray and like all, all these other guys, they had images that you could look at. And what they would do is they would, you could pop a screen out. And so I could put like this image up here and then I could read like trip report, like kid was eight two CI and like writes, writes about it or whatever. And so I was just like, I was like in this universe, man. And I discovered all these other like super dope, like awesome sites. And then there was like a, a section of it of people that were like, there was like audio files. Right. And I discovered Alan Watts. Alan Watts was the first one. And then I, I like discovered it. And I thought what the guy was saying was cool, but I was also 16 years old. And I found that Terrence McKenna was more interesting to me because he was talking about, you know, mushroom experiences. And I had my, my first mushroom experience at that age. And I, and I, uh, so I was like really taken by like, you know, Terrence McKenna, you know, who's this guy? Like, who's this guy with a weird voice? Like, um, but you know, always on the periphery were like Ram Dass, uh, Alan Watts, like all these other, like Thich Nhat Hanh, like there was like all these like other audio files on there. And I was like, man, like I really, really vibe with what these guys are saying. Um, and I would, you know, tertiarily listen to them or the audio player would keep going. Um, the RSS audio player would keep going and it would end up on one of their talks. Um, and yeah, I mean, that that was my window into the whole thing and so i wasn't like introduced into the culture at all i guess my introduction to the culture was through arrowhead because i didn't go to a music festival you know until i was like 18 or 19. um so i didn't even know what i was <laughs> i didn't even know what i was doing or like what i was listening to i just was kind of like uh on, i was i was on that tip through the internet which actually i think is you know pretty classic you know because i am equally into technology as I am into nature, you know, so, um, which might even seem like an oxymoron considering like, you know, power consumption and like all these other, you know, all these other bad things of technology, but like technology is really what brought me out of like one way of thinking and brought me into being interested in mindfulness, being interested in, uh, other states of consciousness. And like, so I think that it's possible that you know, we can, again, we can zoom out a little bit and look at this technology as having, is as being a double-edged sword. You know what I mean? It's not just horrible, you know, it's not just destructive. It's, it's everything. It's, it's the, it's the earth coming to bloom and hopefully uh, us figuring out a way to continue to coexist with it. Cool to hear your, your Arrowhead story. Were you a guitar player back when you were 16 getting into this stuff like did did that influence find its way into your guitar uh like immediately or or tell tell me about how it worked its way into your music 
Well, as an as a guitar player, and hopefully some of your listeners might not be familiar with um, Papadocio and like what we do, um, but I, I imagine many of your listeners are into you know jam music in general and things like that and festival music. I come to the guitar from an audio engineer's kind of frame mind frame. Like I enjoy psychedelic sounds and the psychedelic sounds that I can make with the guitar, as opposed to like you know a million notes at once, like shredding and all that other stuff. And there are some like, I mean, mind blowing guitars that are live right now playing festivals. You know what I mean? Jake Sinager, like, you know, I, I, I was just floored by the, the Umphrey's uh, second set on the first night at, at resonance, really, really just, just top notch playing in every possible way. Um, and that's just the antithesis of who I am and how I, what I identify as um, a guitar player. I enjoy reverbs. I enjoy, time-based effects. I enjoy like looping my guitar in very interesting short snippets, granular things. Like I enjoy trying to make the guitar do things it wasn't designed to do. And that's been my more, um, that's been my focus. And it, it's always been my focus. It's always been who I've been since the very first time I picked up. I remember I picked up my mom's um, acoustic guitar and it had, so it had uh, the wound strings, right? Because it was like, you know, wound metal. And I would take my fingernail and scratch it against I didn't know how you were supposed to play it. I just picked it up and started scratching it. And if you scratched it in different places, you hear different harmonics. And I was like, ooh, that's interesting. And like, that was my first, my first guitar riff I ever came up with was scratching my fingernail on my mom's guitar. And she's like, wait, you're doing it wrong. And, you know, uh, that was just kind of, I just hadn't heard the sound before. Um, apparently when I was very young, I used to sit in front of the speakers and I figured out that if you, uh, reverse the, the, the speaker wire in the microphone, you could actually talk through the speaker and record yourself onto the cassette tapes by talking into the speaker because the transducer works two ways. Right. So I was able to record my own voice and I figured out all this other stuff because I mean, I guess I've just always been more interested in how, you know what I mean? than the what, right. So I, uh, yeah. And, and so I guess like how I approached the guitar very early, I was in jazz band. You know, like I was in jazz band in high school and they used to set like hyper complex chord charts in front of me. And like, I was like, okay, how do I play a, you know, a flat seven, 13 minus, you know, whatever, like, you know, the crazy and no one could tell, no one could tell me Then no one there like knew how to play the guitar. So it was just like, I just kind of came into it just like total. I, I learned everything wrong. You know what I mean? I still struggle with remembering to use my pinky enough, you know, like I'm not like, you know, I, I, I'm not what everybody thinks I am. I think, I, at least I think I'm not like, I, I, I'm trying to do new stuff. Right. Uh, and I'm more interested in how a song is assembled. I'm more interested in how a band like makes a new sound than I am interested in like, you know, like Van Halen style, like, you know what I mean? Like, even though that's incredible. And I want, I mean, like I'm a bigger music fan probably than most people playing, uh, festivals. I like to go, to music. I like to see music. I'm, I'm a giant music fan. I just happen to also be in a band that, that got somewhere. I just, I, I, I don't feel any, when I'm in a crowd, I don't feel different than other people. I'm just witnessing something amazing. You know what I mean? And like mind blown. And I don't know, I kind of went off on a tangent, but yeah, I, you know, I just, I feel relatively misunderstood in the, you know, in the, in the music scene, because um, I think people expect me to do things that i don't know how. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know how. But what I do know how to do is probably a lot of things that many folks in the scene don't know how to do. And that's, that's, I guess, my musical identity, like, like, lives in the the stranger, <laughs> you know, effect building and like, 
engineering than it does in the, you know, shredding. And yeah, I mean, and it's cool to hear you say that because like earth cry, like is this whole create, like seeing the way. So is that like a modular synthesizer? I, I have no idea. Like I'm yeah, not. Yeah. It's a, I, so it has two parts. One part is a synthesizer. So it's an instrument, right? So it makes notes. Okay. That's one half of it. And that goes to the output. So there's, that's, that's its own private entity. Right. And then the other half of it is audio processing. So it's a granular processor, meaning I can on the fly sample any, any of four different parts, which is drums, bass, instruments, and vocals, if it's in the song. And I can take those parts and grab very short snippets of that sound and then run it through all kinds of effects. Um, and so both of those things kind of work together. A modular system is fun because you can make it do any number of tasks, depending upon how you patch it. Um, and that show, every single show is different. So that that show, I am I, actually taking a couple cues from that show because I had a lot of fun. Um, and I think when I have a lot of fun, it, I think a lot of people have a lot of fun because they see me like getting excited about what's happening. I was into it. Like I, I, uh, I was, I was in it. I mean, I figured out, I mean, with modular, it's like, you don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes it's kind of alive. It's voltage, right? Voltage is traveling through a system. Uh, there's digital aspects of it, but for the most part, it's electricity flowing through a machine and what comes out sometimes you don't expect. And, uh, I just had a lot of happy accidents. I fully expected I was so like, I didn't care. I was just like, I, I'm, this is like, you know, the tertiary set that I'm throwing a bunch of unfinished songs through a modular system. It's not going to sound nearly as dialed. I knew everyone was just coming from Tipper. I was like, I can't, I can't compete with the guy that, that focuses all of his life on fidelity. Right. Um, so instead I took the opposite route and I was like, I'm going to make this as raw, distorted, as weird as I possibly can. And, um, it, that was, I think a success. And it was, it was honestly like rushed last minute. I was in the trailer earlier that day, just like trying different stuff out, like changing the the patch on the modular. I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of it planned. I didn't have a set. A lot of guys will get on Ableton and they'll take each song and they'll like layer the first song then they'll drop the second song under it and fade into the next one. They have it all figured out. I didn't have anything like that. I was, I was launching clips and I was like at the end of the song to do a transition, I was just sampling the end of the song and looping it so I could get the other song called up. Like I was totally unprepared. Um, but I had a really good time. And so I took a picture, <laughs> uh, with my phone the next day of the patch. So I wouldn't forget some of the things that I did. And, you know, it was just a, it was one of those things, man. I, I've, I had the most fun at that set that I've had doing Earthcry thus far. And uh, yeah, I, I don't spend enough time on Earthcry. I don't spend like, you know, I'm, I'm all docio, you know what I mean? So I, I, you know, I'm recently realizing that I probably should spend more time because a lot of people are really enjoying it. I'm getting, I'm getting messages in my inbox constantly now, like, Hey, where can I hear X, Y, Z? That one song that went, da, 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 da. I'm like, that's not <laughs> finished yet. Sorry. It's not, it's, you know, I've only got so much time on my hands. So um, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, spend a little more time on uh, earth cry, but you know, the band's going to start, you know, working on our next thing. And to be honest, I'm mostly excited about that. So, you know, uh, what, what, what can I say? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm only one guy. Someone get this guy a, a clone machine. <laughs> yeah, no, I second that notion though. Like, so yeah, you mentioned like, you know, uh, an electronic producer could have like it all lined up, you know, song fading into song two, fading into song three, like, you know, you could you could just be one of those kinds of DJs that just has the whole set ready. Like, what's your thinking behind doing it 
the earth cry way? <laughs> um, well, let's back up a little bit. I, I don't want to vilify that move because people think that they, they watch a guy, you know, like, for example, we'll go to the airport, right? We'll have $700, $800 worth of checked baggage. It's insanity. We got like, you know, we had to like get a bunch of those like carts you rent. You know what I mean? We're just trying to get through the airport. And then, you know, a, a friend of ours who's a who's a producer will, will walk by us with his backpack and all he has is a thumb drive, right? And he'll just look at our stuff and be like, wow, man, that looks like a lot of work. And we're like, yeah, dude. And, he, you know, he gets, he puts his thumb drive in, you know, woo, and then he leaves, right? And, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, they'll get on the, they'll get on this argument where they're saying like, bands are so much harder workers, blah, blah. And then, you know, electronic people will be like, bands are wasting their time. Why would you ever do that? You know what I mean? And like, there's this big argument about it. And to be honest, like a lot of the music producer fidelity artists, like, like, like Tipper, man, that's so much work at home. That is so much work. That is like months and months of dialing in a specifically perfect sound. Right. And, you know, we can we can argue back and forth about like you know whether that's like chivalrous you know in a in a festival environment um but at the end of the day it's still a lot of work you know what i mean so so an artist that's working toward fidelity is got at least as much work you know what i mean there at home as a band has when they're trying to get to the gig and there there's 32 channels of in 64 channels of instruments like look at turquoise like how many inputs did that band have you know what i mean think about how much energy human energy goes into making a show like that happen you know that is just to me knowing actually what's behind making a show happen i find a lot of people find tipper to be like the 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 the, the top level of like the most amazing possible thing and i look at a band like turquoise i look at a band like uh big bands right giant bands with lots of instruments uh i look at that as the an equal amount of technological prowess maybe not even as much in the band itself but the but but the crew putting the show together that's a lot of technology that's a lot of you know to make that sound good to have a bunch of live mics hearing the speakers and the person in front of it like to make that sound good that, that's just that's hard and that's like truly amazing so when you're witnessing a live band kill it and you're witnessing tipper kill it you're just witnessing people killing it that's that's the that's the the, the end of it right so so to get back to performing right so performing electronic music i have some thoughts about that i think we should be performing like you know i don't know if you saw that apex twin thing he did in london where he he literally took a grand piano put it on a giant pendulum put microphones in front of it and so the the piano's swinging on this the grand piano is swinging on this giant pendulum and it's playing that that song off drugs and it's like back and forth this beautiful song but like <laughs> the microphone is hearing the piano like swing through the air right uh bjork had those crazy columns in that one uh thing she was doing uh biophilia performance i mean it's electronic music we literally can do anything now right anything is possible and most people choose to tour with a thumb drive because it's easy right and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially if you're going to spend a lot of time at home making the perfect sound. But what I do think is folks are robbing themselves of having a blast. Like I just had the best time ever. One thing I can definitely say is I had a better time than most of the musicians on those stages because I set myself up for having a good time, right? Now, there's a lot of technical know-how in terms of how to do that. Um, and it's nerve wracking. Things could go wrong, right? And a lot of those guys are, they're trying to break into the market. They're trying to like, 
they want to be heard. They want to have a flawless show. They want to get the crowd going and they want them to listen to them because they're trying to make it right. So I get that. And so I get the, the fear of things falling apart. Right. Um, but me as a, as a witness or of shows, right. I enjoy watching an electronic musician take risks. I enjoy RJD2 shows. That guy has four decks at the same time. That is impossible. I don't know how anyone even makes that happen. I saw a Prefu 73 one time with just an entire table full of stuff. I saw a Fortet like play with a drummer trying to sync a bunch of gear that just wouldn't sync. And just, that was the art. Um, I've seen like, I've seen some electronic shows that have like, I mean, it, if you, if you really understand what's happening, you try to understand what's happening. Like we can get deeper than just this sounds amazing. Y'all like check out what I made at my house. Like we, we can, we can, we can take it farther than that. And, uh, really, uh, Unfortunately, the, the education around making some stuff like that happens happen doesn't really exist yet, right? Um, it's it's on YouTube. There are some solutions out there, um, but if unless you're you know you've been touring with this kind of stuff for 15 years plus, uh, you know those are a lot of big risks to take. Um, and I'm fortunate in in having had enough <laughs> really bad things happen on stage to be able to kind of solve those problems as they come up. Like I definitely did have a I had a, um, a a module crash on me during that set, so I had to repatch out of it. But you know, I know what that looks like. I know what happens if the LEDs freeze. Like I know what that means, right? Whereas, like, you know, not everybody would be able to detect what's going on with that. But if you get in their studio, right, and they've got a beautiful song that they put together, they could tell you every single minute detail about how they made that sound. So I'm just hoping that the knowledge center moves from just the studio to the stage, right? And so that more performance oriented electronic music like takes the scene back over. Because I remember going to shows, uh, I remember going to a Camp Bisco, I think it was 2007 or 2008, and every electronic musician had a performance aspect. There wasn't this like, is there a DJ table on the thing? Like put my thumb drive in there and, you know, do nothing. You know, like it, it wasn't like that, right? It was it was a, a eclectic blends of like all these different things that folks were trying to do. And it wasn't a loudness contest. It wasn't a anything. It was like, yo, like check this out. I remember Ratatat, man, that was like, just it's, it's electronic music, but it's live. Right. Um, I digress. That's a rant. You know what I mean? I just want to see I, as a music fan, you know, primarily I want to see more performances. Right. I, I gotta say, I digress is, is my number one phrase. <laughs> it's gold so let's let's jump into the fan perspective for a second like the artists on stage like our favorite band like us music fans we form a super deep connection to our favorite bands and it's like you know we just went through this year and a half lockdown like um you know music is therapy for a lot of us and you know going on tour following our favorite bands it's it's something that that's so healing and spiritual for for so many of us. And, you know, I, I want to ask you, like, do you feel a sense of purposefulness and meaningfulness being that person that, that is on stage that, you know, people connect with that experience? I feel, I guess if I, if I feel anything, I feel, um, honored. I also feel like, um, what's that, uh, imposter syndrome, you know, like where I'm just a guy, you know, just making weird sounds like, and I, I just the band happened to do to make the same, you know, somewhat same similar weird sounds over and over again. And people, you know, 
we, we get pretty good at doing that over time, right? And somehow that is worthy of putting us in the center of people's attention, you know? Like that has never really felt intuitive to me. It still feels strange and I still feel like I don't really deserve it, you know what I mean? But like, um, I'm grateful for it. And I'm also like really uh, kind of amazed that the weird stuff that I come up with here, someone somewhere else wants that experience amplified and blasted in their face, you know? Um, and you know, that's, that's still amazing to me. And I don't know if that's ever going to be not amazing to me or, or, or humbling to me or like, you know, it's, it's a, it's an honor, you know, like that people want to spend their, that's how they want to spend their time. That's how they, not only that is that how they want to spend their time, that's how they want to spend, you know, their, their savings on a music festival in the middle of the summer. You know what I mean? Like they could have done anything. It could have, they could have went to the beach. They could have went, you know, to Yosemite. I don't know. They, they, they could have done whatever that they wanted to do, but they decided to do that, you know? And that's like, like what? You get to be part of this like team that like, you know, plays art, makes art, you know, it, it's just, it's crazy. I don't know. I don't, I don't have like, I, I guess I'm not like, uh, I just feel like so much of a, music fan that it just it's 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 strange to be in the in the position that i'm in because i know how i think about artists that i think are incredible right and it just doesn't make sense that I, that i happen to be sort of one of them you know what i mean like because to me this just seems like yeah i don't know this is, here's an idea people seem to like it great you know um i don't know i don't have the i don't think i have the languaging to be that guy man be all you know be all cool and like you know like i listen i like read interviews of like uh trent reznor or something you know what i mean he's just the coolest like the stuff he says is like man like i don't know man it's like uh at the end of the day i just feel i feel imposter syndrome like big time and uh, i'm trying to like work through that because i could see how potentially like you know overthinking that kind of like way could get in the way you know but at the end of the day i'm always gonna do this if if nobody listens I'll be sad, but you know, I'm, what else am I going to do? You know what I mean? Like, I don't have, I don't have anything but this, you know, I don't have anything to like show anybody except for <laughs> weird sounds that I make over here, you know? Well, yeah, man. I mean, our favorite musical performers, like, you know, people on stage are rock stars and, you know, it's, it's so cool to know that, you know, someone's favorite musician like yourself, you know, doesn't have that arrogant, you know, like kind of stereotypical rock star personality, um, man, an honor to, to chat with you here, Anthony, uh, winding down here, uh, you know, for anyone who's listened this far, Papadocio fans, uh, any final words for them here? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the band is in an interesting place uh now and i think that like a lot of the best is yet to come because of uh we we finally have a, a and this might sound really funny to people but we we were a band that like a lot of our music writing and rehearsing was done on the road because we used to tour like crazy right uh you know we had a couple like pretty deep conversations realizing just how every single show that we play requires a lot of people to drive from a lot of different places. And when we were doing these gigantic tours, you know, 200 shows a year, some crazy stuff like that, uh, we realized that we were <laughs> sort of like 
uh, you know, uh, the, our lyrical content was kind of in conflict with what we were actually doing. And so we realized that we need to strike a balance between the amount of shows we play and, you know, the amount of music that we make. And uh, we've been able to, over time, over this COVID time, we've been able to really create the kind of environment upon which we want to make music out of. And I'm not saying we won't be playing a lot of shows. What I am saying is that we'll be playing a, a more healthy balance of shows versus studio time. So what that means for the 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 Papadocio end user, if you will, what that means for them is that uh, the variety of things that we're going to be creating gets a lot more. Um, I don't know. It gets it. There's there's a lot more uh, differentials between like what we're going to be putting out. And that's very exciting because really up until this point, because we've been touring, we used to tour so much, all you'd get really from us would be an album here and there and a live show. And now uh, we're trying to remain ever creative. We're trying to remain ever focused on what, you know, because creativity shouldn't stop with writing the music. It should, you should be creative in every aspect, including how you deliver that music to people and like what, that looks like and you know everything from new technologies to uh uh new opportunities um new venues like uh we're really interested in trying to set up uh shows where they're like um there's an adventure aspect to it like this this uh cave show we've got coming up here um uh we're playing at the the caverns but we're turning it into a festival which is the first time the caverns in tennessee has ever done this before and that's going to be really interesting because there's actually another cave. There's going to be tours that are like miles deep. It's going to be insane. And like nothing like that has happened before. Um, and we're trying to find more and more adventure style, um, you know, things just so we can try to offer just something different. You know what I mean? Like the whole, like <laughs> we've done it all, you know, we've been to the the room that smells like beer and bleach and, you know, done that, you know, a million times over. We're We're ready to, you know, try different things out. And uh, I think it's a really good time to be um, a Papadocio fan, you know, because I think that there's going to be some things that they're going to be like, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. And that's what that's what we're trying to bring to the table, um, because I think that's what we do being being, you know, whether we whether we do it with grace or whether whether we actually pull it off well is another thing entirely. But doing the weird thing is like, you know, kind of what we enjoy doing. So. Yeah. Well, you spoil us. So Anthony closing off here, you know, a lot, a lot of Papadocio fans are artists, they're musicians and, uh, a, you know, a great portion of the people who listen to this are, are in bands, they're musicians, they're artists. Uh, tell us a little bit about seed to stage and, and the work you do as, as a producer, you know, a couple of my friends, you've mastered their albums. For sure. Um, so seed to stage is a, started out as a idea where I would have a music festival where the artists would be trained for like a series of a week or two weeks. And then we would have an event open to the public where the band would play to bring the public in. And then all the students in, in their various things that they learned would perform at the festival and they would, they would comprise the lineup. Right. Uh, I was trying to build up to that by having a live event where I did seed to stage um, stuff for Ableton uh, Ableton Live software, which is a music software. Um, and 
I successfully pulled off two years of it. And then this last year where I was going to expand it, um, I had a venue in Denver and I had a venue in Asheville. Uh, and I was in talks with a venue in New York City and talks with a venue in San Francisco. Um, my eventual idea was to raise the money to be able to have this lofty festival idea. Um, but of course, COVID happened and it kind of like threw a big wrench and all that. So all the while, I was also building up a seed to stage I use the name as uh, Seed to Stage on YouTube for the lessons that I teach on Ableton Live. And a lot of it focuses around live performance. And this kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier, uh, me trying to put out the information that is needed for some crazy ideas to happen on stage, right? So hence the name Seed to Stage. Um, so anyway, um, now what it's become now is now this this uh, training course, these training courses and a YouTube channel and a lofty dream that someday might happen. Um, but for now, in order for that to happen, um, you know, I, I basically kind of am trying to build the foundations of it up first. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. The, the Ableton paid attention to what I was doing. They gave me a lot of really great opportunities. Um, they, their content department has been really kind to my channel. Um, they're really great people and they, you know, they've made software that has made the kind of performances that I'd always dreamed of doing possible. And so I have done a lot of work for them. Um, and uh, yeah, the channel's now like, it's like 65,000 people are subscribed to it. It's crazy. So, and it's funny because a lot of people don't know that it's me. They'll like, they'll, they don't know that I'm in a, I'm in a band. And then, then they'll listen to, to the band. And in fact, some of our most recent shows, People are like, yeah, I came here because I, I I watch you on YouTube and I wanted to see what your band was all about. You know what I mean? And it's been like a really funny way to be discovered. But at the same time, like, okay, yeah, welcome to, to 2021. Welcome to uh, what technology is doing for not just music, but but the way upon which people discover it. You know, uh, I'm not one of those artists that's going to, you know, be like Spotify, rah, you know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, at the end of the day, if they if that gets them to the show, all right. You know, I'll take it. So yeah, Seed to Stage has been cool. And uh, it's 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 a it's a namesake that has changed what I originally wanted it to be. But that doesn't mean that it won't be able to be that again. I've already been reached out to by a couple of the venues that I had already been in discussions with. And I'm just trying to play it safe. You know, this is a weird time. So I'm just trying to uh, sit on my hands um, and slowly but surely try to build up to that initial dream. Because I really think that's a it's a cool idea, you know, like giving somebody an education and then being like, all right, get on stage and do it. You know what I mean? Like that's a really big Kickstarter, I think, to uh, new careers and new artists. So yeah, I enjoy teaching. Hell yeah. Seat to stage. We're going to throw a link in the description here, wherever you're listening. And if you're on uh, one of those streaming platforms, this is this interviews and in video on YouTube and yeah, Earth Cry Music, Papa Docio, give him a follow. Anthony, man, so great to talk to you. Thank you for all that you do. Resonance was fucking killer. Appreciate thanks, you, man. man. For sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you for listening. Shout out to the sponsor, SEM Tickets. We love y'all. We'll see you real soon. And I want to give one more big shout out to Ohio's own Sacred Harvest Music Festival. Octave Cat with Eli from Dopapod, Jesse from Lotus, Cheesecake with Hauser and Chucky Love, Bacano, 
sub T will be there the last weekend of September and hope to see you there as well. Much love, y'all.